Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Dr. Lee Whitmore is a music, audio, creative, digital, and education thought leader. He's the Vice President for Education at Focusrite Group, which includes Focusrite, Novation, Amplify Music, Sequential, Oberheim, Adam Audio, Martin Audio, Optimal Audio, and Linear Research. With a career that spans three decades, his professional assignments have included leadership positions at music industry companies Avid, Sibelius, and Chord USA, as well as the Grammy Music Education Coalition and Berklee College of Music. He has a doctorate from Columbia University Teachers College in Music Education and Technology. Because music has dramatically affected his personal life and career, Lee is a vocal advocate for access to music and related arts for all young people. Lee is an author, educator, public speaker, and industry and education executive. His recent writing includes pieces for the Inter-American Development Bank, the Heckinger Report, and the Washington Post. Active in service to music, community, and education, Lee is a Beats by Girls board member, an executive board member of the MIDI Association, also serving as its volunteer chief financial officer, and leading its MIDI and music education special interest group. He is also an advisory board member for the Bob Moog Foundation and the Richmond Symphony School of Music. So this week, I have a very special podcast for you. Um, whenever anybody asks me, who is my mentor? Who uh, is the person that got me most uh, or guided my career the most? It is my guest today uh, and my dear friend, Lee Whitmore. I met Lee back in 1994. Um, Stephanie Langle, who's a, another dear friend of mine, uh, sh she and I ended up in Lee's music technology class at Teachers College. And up until that point, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do in music ed. I didn't know what my path was. And the first night of class meeting Lee, uh, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my career at the end of the class. So Lee, thank you so much for being here. It's an honor for me to have you. Jim, it's a pleasure to be here. It's been so many years and it feels like the time has gone by so quickly. Um, it's just wonderful to be here and have this chance to talk to you. Awesome. Um, so yeah, very special podcast for me, for sure, to have you, Lee. Um, so, uh, you know, you were the person I'll never forget. It was Halloween or around Halloween of uh, 2007 that I went into my superintendent's office and made the huge decision uh, to leave teaching, um, to go and opportunity of a lifetime, take the helm from you at Soundtree. Um, and that's how I joined the corporate world. I remember going in in my Halloween costume to my superintendent to tell him I'm I'm leaving education. Um, but before we get into all these great stories, I would love to know, because I don't think I know the whole story about how you got into music, into music education and, and into the corporate world. And if you could give us like the, you know, the 10 minute overview of, of your career, that would be fabulous. 
Yeah, happy to. Yeah, and I think I remember about that uh, that time in that October um, <laughs> made that decision that changed. Those are big changes. Yes, and I've had moments like that in my career too. Well, I, I believe that we have similar um, early backgrounds. You have music education degrees. I do all the way through, and we share that, and we share um, doing our our doctoral work and and teaching both. Uh, at different times, um, or maybe with a little bit of overlap at Columbia University Teachers College in New York City. Yep. Um, yet my path was, you know, quite simply, um, music education, undergrad and graduate degrees at Westchester University of Pennsylvania. We both know those that campus and those amazing place. Very well, um, I entered um, Westchester and had a vocal music com, uh, concentration, but I play low brass, I play piano. And the way that I got there was, you know, I, I tell this story often when I'm out um, thinking about and doing advocacy work for music and education, um, something you and I believe in deeply. Uh, when I was young, my father worked for the army as a civilian employee. And while I'm a, I'd say a practice extrovert, hopping on the podcast and talking to you today is something that's comfortable for me. That sort of social interaction when I was young, and imagine this, I was in t about 10 different schools by the time I got to high school. Oh, wow. So as a bashful um, a young person who was constantly picked up and moved to new communities, music was my path. And uh, it was in Yuma, Arizona when I was in middle school that I walked into uh, um, a school district and the guidance counselor said to me, okay, what should we do for electives for you? Have you had um, uh, public health? Do you like sports, music? And I ended up not in sports, but going to the um, the choir room that day. Mm -hmm. I was terrified. I looked up and there were a hundred students on the, on the choral risers and the music teacher looked at me and said, oh, who are you? What do you do? You sing tenor, you sing bass. I didn't know then. <laughs> and then um, she handed me uh, a score and she said, do you know how to read music? And I said, yeah. And she said, great, sit down. You're going to accompany. And I was, you know, scared, frightened. Mm -hmm. um, but that worked out really well. I could play, I could sight read. And I, I realized that music was my path. That was the way to be socially comfortable. That was the way to um, do what I needed to do to navigate the social world. And because that changed my life when it came time to think about college and career, I wanted to play. I wanted to make music. Uh, my parents were practical and said, go get an education degree. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> performing is something that's going to be difficult or to make enough money doing. And that started my path off to Westchester, undergraduate degree, was out playing, doing a lot of gigging. And um, when it came time to think about going in and interviewing for classroom teaching jobs, which I did, I was offered a graduate assistantship in music education at Westchester. And then I just kept going. Yep. Technology bit me. Um, the bug um, was strong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was very fortunate. Um, I met someone, Don Miro, who used oh, to... Wow. Yeah a lot of music education work and as a, a professional synthesis and performer used to hire me to go on the road with him i met him at a graduate course him and um, one of our other mentors dr tom rudolph oh yeah good old tom um, and while i was doing that um uh don miro introduced me to mike covens who's since passed uh 
but hired me into the industry as a digital piano product manager at Korg. And then it went, you know, from there many years, but that was my path to meeting you. While I was at Korg, we decided we needed to do more to be active in music education as a company at Korg USA. Uh, that led to founding Soundtree, which you became uh, the head of at one point. And we um, got to know each other very well around that time. Indeed. And then after that, um, Sibelius recruited me to go to the West Coast, and our good friend Philip Nickel and I ran Sibelius Americas. Avid bought Digidesign, M-Audio, and Sibelius, and my path there for seven years out of the Bay Area and San Francisco Bay Area was to um, chart the strategy for all audio, video, and music in education at all levels for Avid and then while I was there, uh, I was recruited by another uh, friend of ours that we have in common, David Mash, who after 40 years um, ago retired from his gig at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. I was the vice president there working for the president of the college on social entrepreneurship, education, outreach, helping young people. And this connects back to my motivation for being in the industry, um, helping young people who um, didn't necessarily or their families have the means to um, uh, uh, get to Berkeley or have a music education that um, perhaps they deserved fundraising for that. Um, and then uh, while I was there, the Recording Academy, the Grammys called and Roger Brown, the then president of uh, Berkeley, and I talked to the Grammy organization. I spent a few years helping to raise money for music education at the Grammy Music Education Coalition. And ultimately, after a few years of doing that, COVID came along and mm -hmm. I came back into the corporate world and I'm at Focusrite now, heading up uh, education strategy for Focusrite Group and for all of our brands. Oh, that's, I love that uh, career path. And for anyone um, that has used music technology in the last 25 years, I guarantee you that somewhere along the line, Lee Whitmore was involved. Uh, in in uh, just a huge uh, it, you know huge impact on music education and technology in the U.S. Lee, so uh, thank you for all your work. I'm very excited when I heard that you were moving to Focusrite. Um, music First has always been you know completely dedicated to online only, um, and Focusrite is just one of those companies um, that has been gaining traction more and more. More people know the brand. It's a it's an amazing British company. I'd love for you to give like the what are you doing at Focusrite? What is Focusrite, and what solutions do you guys have uh, for music teachers? Well, happy to uh, share that, and also I'm um, very excited about the work that um, we're doing together now, Jim, which I yep. know we'll talk about, and what we have done over the years. I, I will say this: I appreciate the comment that um, you made about uh, my time in music education. It's been more than 30 years that I've worked professionally now. Mm -hmm. but when I think about the work that you do, I have a, a lot of respect. Um, I feel honored that we've had this opportunity to cross paths and do substantial work together. And I'm I'm confident in saying that between the work that you've done with your teams that I've done with the teams that I've worked in, we've, we've had an opportunity to impact millions of young people's mm. opportunity and inspiration to make and create music, particularly connected to technology. Um, so with Focusrite and, you know, we as a company are very broad, but plug into music and audio education and education generally in so many places. 
You mentioned that Focusrite, yes, is based in the UK, in Buckinghamshire and High Wycombe. Um, the company has a lengthy history, Focusrite itself, uh, in audio, uh, starting many years ago with a product that we don't make now, which is uh, mixing consoles. Mm. And the path from there, um, our, our current chairman and um, one of the founders of the company, Phil Dudridge, actually was the live sound mixer for Led Zeppelin at one point and created Soundcraft and then later uh, made sure that Focusrite became what it is today. We're nine brands altogether, which include Focusrite and Focusrite Pro. So audio recording um, uh, from an entry level all the way through to the highest level of professional use, like uh, Focusrite products are used at the Super Bowl. Or last week I was traveling in San Francisco and Focusrite products are found throughout the new San Francisco Conservatory of Music building across the street from um, Symphony Hall there. Mm. We also own Novation, uh, keyboard and MIDI controllers, uh, Novation and Amplify Music, a software company that complements in music creation with Novation MIDI controllers. Uh, we've become very strong in synthesis generally. Novation has synthesizers, but we also acquired uh, a little more than a year ago an iconic synthesizer brand sequential oh yeah i love that. that that's wonderful that you guys brought that over and in fact next month will be um we're almost in what uh we're in the fall now um in october of uh this year it will mark the 40th year uh, uh anniversary of dave smith the founder of sequential who sadly passed away this mm. past year um putting a five pin din midi port on a synthesizer so uh, oh, that's amazing anniversary <laughs> is next year we're so happy at focus right to have that legacy as a part of uh, what we are um, today um we also announced at the nam show this past year that uh we are also sequential is oberheim tom Oberheim signed an exclusive agreement and for the first time in 40 years, Oberheim synthesizers are being manufactured and that's part of Sequential. Awesome. So also on the audio and speaker side of things, Martin Audio, which is a loudspeaker company also based in, in High Wycombe in the UK. Uh, Adam Audio, which is a German-based, Berlin-based uh, studio monitor company. I love those speakers. I love them. <laughs> that's great. I, uh, I'm so grateful to be able to use them, hear them, listen to them and listen to music on them all the time. And then there are a, a handful of other brands, which include um, Linear Research, uh, high-end DSP and amplifier company and more. So we're mostly a hardware company, a little bit of software. And I uh, would venture to say that in just about any place that you go to experience professional audio and music, you're likely to bump into some of our gear. You're either performing, recording or listening to it in, in some way. Yep. Well, I first, um, our mutual uh, friend, Barbara Friedman, um, first is the first person I know that that said to me, have you seen, have you checked out Focusrite? And she had swapped out in her lab in Greenwich High School in Greenwich, Connecticut. She'd swapped out all of her old M-Audio audio interfaces with this, this uh, incredible now iconic uh, audio interface called the Scarlet. I'd never heard of it. And then I went up and visited her, I'm sure. And I saw these things and they're gorgeous, first of all. Um, and when you came over to focus, right, to kind of fill in the blank that I left right before I asked you the question, I said, if we're ever going to partner with a hardware company, this is it. 
Um, and I love Novation uh, interfaces, the launch pads and my launch key is, is are the devices that were on my desk even before I knew that you were with Focusrite. I absolutely love the gear. And so we're thrilled um, to partner with you guys and to offer hardware for the first time. We've been around for 10 years and uh, right around the time that this podcast is being premiered, um, we're going to be uh, unveiling our, our our partnership with you guys. So I'm I'm really pleased with the timing of this podcast. To, and now you know why we we brought focus right on board. I'm just thrilled that you're at the helm and that we have this this gear. So <clears throat> um I would like to talk specifically, this is the first podcast I'm doing where I'm using this incredible device called the Vocaster One. Um, I'm actually using the Vocaster One Studio, so I have a, a, a beautiful um, condenser microphone uh, plugged in uh, uh, to a Vocaster, and then that is my audio interface. I absolutely love the design of it. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the Vocaster and why you guys came up with it, and, and what are the differences between the Scarlet and the Vocaster, uh, and why teachers might consider one over the other? Yeah, in fact, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Los Angeles near our corporate office in the U.S., uh, which is in El Segundo, and I also have a Vocaster One sitting on the desk. All right, very cool. And um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting and exciting because um, when you talk about Scarlet, I mean, the Focusrite audio interface range um, starts with uh, Scarlet interfaces, which... Um, the iconic red color of of those chassis and the use of them in education, like in Barb Freeman's program, is really prolific. And I'm proud to say that there have been many millions of Scarlets that have been manufactured over the years and they're yep. used in um, home studios. I think with the pandemic, so many people started to create content and want to broadcast and listen in a higher quality audio than you can get from your Mac or Windows machine or your tablet. And so, um, you know, Scarlet is is literally just about everywhere. Um, so there's Scarlet, there's uh, Cl the Claret Plus range, which has higher quality, and that's recently had a refresh, the Claret line um, uh, microphone pre's. And um, then there's Focusrite Pro in the line, which includes very high-end recording uh, interfaces that can be used are kind of this the high-end quality Swiss Army knife of anything that <laughs> record and capture audio and play it back in a professional facility. Why why Vocaster? So Vocaster is cool because it's our company looking specifically at content creators that may not necessarily be musicians. I would venture to say that Scarlet is probably the interface that's most used today to create podcasts. Yep. And we decided, well, this is not necessarily to replace um, Scarlet, but Vocaster, I mean, even if when you look at the chassis of the Vocaster, you see that instead of, you know, input number one, input number two, the Vocaster 2 has host and guest. Yep. <laughs> the Vocaster 2 has a Bluetooth uh, compatibility. So, you know, Jim, if we wanted to call in somebody else like Barb to speak in the podcast and participate today, we could do that and capture the audio from your iPhone or my iPhone. Right. Um, the the input uh, gain on the Vocaster is about 70 dB, which is pretty incredible. So no matter what microphone you might already have or want to purchase, you won't need a cloud lift or any other device to get a proper level. 
And then there's other cool things for that adjacent market of content creators that may not have the music experience that many folks have. Like when I set my vocaster up this morning to talk with you, um, there's an auto gain feature where I press a button on the vocaster front panel or I do it from software control. I'm on a Mac today. That's how I did it. Speak for about 10 seconds. You've probably done this. That's exactly what I did before we before we got on, right? Me too, because the vocaster I have here is going to a school for a photo shoot next and I hadn't touched it before. So I made sure I did that. And one of the other interesting things with the vocaster is, you know, we've not created a Focusrite uh, interface with any sort of um, processing on it in many years and there's an enhanced feature and you can select from four preset enhancements like a radio voice uh there's several options or you can just run clean if you want to i'm actually using one of the enhanced presets right now i am too <laughs> <laughs> that's great i i um you know and the other thing that's coming out right around this time uh, of this podcast is i was so inspired by the device when i saw it back at the nam show which I think it was in June this past year out in Anaheim. Um, so inspired by it. I think I told you on the spot, I'm writing a curriculum for this. So we're just launching uh, podcasting in the classroom or podcasting across the curriculum, I believe is what I called it. Um, 170 pages. It is a, uh, a totally comprehensive curriculum that is focused on um the vocaster line as well as the scarlet line and soundtrap as the uh the digital audio workstation to use it's uh 20 lesson plans that take you from i don't know anything about what podcasting is to i've got my completed 10 minute completely produced with music podcast up on uh spotify um so 20 lesson plans to get you there 20 projects that are completely across the curriculum so everything from phys ed to mathematics to obviously to music and uh over to science and poetry you name it and then 10 um 10 additional project ideas lee which i just wrote uh this past week because I, I i still like fiddling uh with it and so yeah 30 projects 20 lesson plans 170 pages completely uh illustrated with how to do everything and you can only get it um, by getting Focusrite products and Soundtrap products from Music First. So uh, I, I'm really pleased, Lee, that we have something as like a, this is what we've done together uh, and, and thrilled uh, that Vocaster and Scarlet are part of it. I'm so excited about this project. You know, uh, Jim, when you first told me that you were inspired to do this, um, I put a big smile on my face. And I think one of the things that's really exciting about this is, you know, Music First serves the music education community. Um, but I think this is an opportunity not only for music, for but for everyone across education. There's such an incredible need to train young people and to train the general teaching population who may not have received um you know training and right audio and what that's about like you're you're handing the community something that just doesn't exist and that is going to have an incredible impact on classrooms young people secondary school teachers at all levels and i think at the post-secondary level too people need the experience that you're sharing in this uh curricular resource that music first has created yeah and what you know what i think about it you know obviously whenever you i i wrote this i wrote this thing i i hunkered down in my place in vermont and just turned off everything and just wrote and wrote and wrote but one of the questions that anybody writing a curriculum 
needs to ask first is why. Why on earth did we need this? And why podcasting? And, and what's so great about it? First of all, I, I don't need to, if, if you have kids, that they listen to podcasts. My, both my daughters are obsessed with true, tr true crime podcasts. Um, and the vast majority, it's something like 75% of podcast audiences are between the ages of 11 and 34. It's a huge audience in that in our kind of right down Broadway of music education and education in general. <clears throat> and these kids, um, whether or not we know it in their spare time, are they're making Instagram channels, trying to become an influencer. They're, they're on YouTube doing product reviews and unboxing. And they're creating podcasts. And I believe very strongly that teachers need to get out in front of it. They need to show kids, A, that they know what podcasting is. Uh, I've been doing, I've been making podcasts since it came out in 2006. I went to, I, I forget the gentleman's last name, Lee, you know him. His name was, oh, Dave Mara from Apple. You and I, I think, did these uh, 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 garage band in the classroom sessions. And uh, yeah, yeah. He mentioned podcasting back in 2006 when it first came out. And I had a podcast that was very popular. But um, to me, and I, I'd, I'd be interested in, in hearing your thoughts on this. To me, podcasting is just another way to assess, right? So kids, like when I'm an ADHD kid, very creative. I hated doing book reports. I hated writing uh, it, you know, uh, papers in school, if a teacher would have said, hey, instead of writing a book report about, um, you know, Lord of the Flies, write a podcast and be creative, I would have gone to town um, doing that. And I just think for any teacher that's like, why? It's really just another way to assess kids. But in my opinion, letting them uh, flex their creativity in the process. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And the other thing that I think about is just the general skill, like that muscle of thinking, organizing and having to share in real time. Yes, you're going to assess it, but the it's like practicing. You know, I'm a pianist. Uh, you're a low brass and tuba player. We spend a lot of time in our lives um, rehearsing our skill at being polished and playing and performing and sharing our music in real time. The same sort of thing is needed for everybody today, given the, the digital world sort of post pandemic that we live in. Mm -hmm. uh, when young people are getting trained for their, you know, their next gen skills, what we're doing right now is something that if young people have an opportunity to, to practice in real time, do some edits, have to deliver that. Yes, in your curriculum for Music First, there's assessments around that. The curriculum and projects are awesome. And you know, you're you're helping to in this work build that that sort of muscle, that skill yep. around this, which is going to serve every young person that uses the curriculum um, very well over time. Uh, I'm super excited it's out, and uh, I, I I hope uh, that uh, it was a lot of fun writing the projects. Let's just put it that way. I, I I was I was trying to find things that people might not have thought of. Um, for creating podcasts, and it's a, it's great. So anyway, that aside, um, you know, you and I are are, are we're, we're, we've kind of run parallel lives, and I'm glad we're working together uh, again. Um, but I've always wondered what your take is on music technology, and you know, forget podcasting. Why is music technology? So important in in any music uh, curriculum, I just like to get your your thoughts on it as a fellow doctor uh, from Teachers College. I don't think I've ever asked you this. 
So I, I uh, it's it's multi-layered, but uh, the first thing I'll mention because uh, as as we've discussed a little bit earlier in this podcast, and you know this, I I've spent a lot of my time and career advocating for music education. You know, it changed me, and I want to pass that on. Mm-hmm. And I I think that you know, for me, it's part of my story, but I think a part of the story for for many people. And I'll give you a very clear example of a project that we're working on at Focusrite Group right now. Technology in music is uh, is magnetic, um, just like performing, playing. I mean, for me, it doesn't matter how you're making and creating music. We know creating music and doing it on a, a consistent basis, especially when you're an adolescent, like it, the research is there. Nina Krauss yep. from Western yep. University changes the biology of your brain, right? Yep. But it's, it's a magnet. It draws young people in. Um, and I think that the skills that come along with, for instance, what you've done in the podcasting curriculum and everything that you have in the Music First platform, um, you know, just changes music education, changes engagement levels, changes the ability to assess all that stuff. Um Here's a quick example, and it's one of the reasons I was happy to join the Focusrite team because our company has a very deep commitment to community. Uh, One of the projects that I've been managing for a little more than a year now, we've been making donations of Novation uh, launch pads. So those are grid controllers, MIDI controllers that are class compliant. They work with Mac, Windows, tablets. I love them, by the way. I absolutely love them. (laughs) And what I've been doing is uh, making grants of those to schools in under-resourced communities, not just in the United States, but around the world. Here's an example. In Colombia, there are 4,000 teens and early 20-somethings, the country of Colombia now in a in partnership with the Inter-American Development Bank that are using launch pads with um, software created and making music. I just saw a video clip this morning that came across from Bogota in 50 communities in that country. Um, what's the point of the program? It's taking young people and getting them engaged. Music is the magnet to draw them into this social sector program that has a research study going on about it. Mm-hmm. And um, young people are learning technology skills, entrepreneurship, music business, mm-hmm. and they're creating and making music. And you know, the video that I saw this morning was a really great DJ set. It's magnetic, it's engaging, it's exciting. And music makes the world a better place. If music technology is one of those things that gets more young people and more adults involved in music making, then the world's better. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I've said this, you know, in, in my teaching, I, <laughs> the greatest thing, Lee, is that I, I teach the class that that I took with you. And I, I've been doing that. I took over from Michael Nord um, uh, back in 1999, and I've been teaching it. And it's wonderful to have that experience with all uh, graduate students. And we talk about this topic all the time about in student engagement and meeting students where they are and and being relevant. Um, and to me, uh, the reason why I started with music technology, uh, I, I taught in the inner city, uh, right outside of Newark, New Jersey, a place called Irvington, which I love the kids. Um, and those kids, you know, uh, it was a challenge to get them engaged, to get them showing up to class every, and I found that as soon as I pulled out any, t- and this is 1993, as soon as I pulled out any type of technology, instantly got their attention. 
And it's not that, you know, first of all, it needs to be used effectively, pedagogically appropriate. You don't just use it as like some flashy thing. It needs to be purposeful while you're using it. But when I did, I I saw it as a teacher who was like a, you know, fresh green right out of college. How do I teach? And I said, oh, maybe they'll like this. Um, I was using a, a program called Mac Voice. Uh, I was using a program called Music Shop. <laughs> I, you, I know I'm going down a trip down memory lane with you. Um, and Band in a Box. I anything I could do to get them hooked. I, I just found I was like, oh my, they, they'll listen. To, they'll they'll be interested if I show it to them with this, rather than showing it to them by another mean chalk on a chalkboard kind of thing. And to me, it's always been this tool that just like any other tool, like a baton, like a metronome, like a tuner, um, you know, it, it it helps get the kids, it gets your subject area, your concept across to them. And, and for the kids that we have in our classrooms today in 2022, um, I just think that if you're not using it in some way, at some point during your um, your teaching, then you're really missing out. I just, I absolutely think it's an integral part of our teaching. Absolutely great. I think you're spot on there. And part of our teaching, part of uh, how we engage young people, it's not the only thing. It's not the only solution. It's part of the toolkit that we have as educators and and as music educators. Yeah, and, and I'm sure because I know that you've probably trained more teachers than I have over the over the last 30 years. We've both trained tens of thousands of people on how to use this stuff. And the number when way back in the day in the in the mid '90s, I would hear this kind of concern from teachers. There were two things: number one, that the technology was going to take over, take their job away, and I was always like, "You are, <laughs> that is so wrong. It, you you know, you could put the best technology in the worst teacher's hands, and they're just going to make that teacher even worse, right? It, you have to have a really effective, highly engaging, skilled educator to make the technology work. So I always was like, that's a silly, you know, silly thing to even consider. And the other one was that um, if you bring technology into a music program, all the kids that are in band, chorus, orchestra are going to immediately quit and go into that music technology course. And you're just going to lose. A, I, and what I would always say, and I'm sure you, you know, you are hearing your story. I know you you feel the same way. Is that none of us who are music technology advocates used music technology when we were growing up it, as a part of our education. We learned the classic kind of conservatory style learning your instrument. I, my my high school band director never once pulled out technology other than maybe a strobe tuner. Um, you know, we're musicians first. And that's actually why I call the company Music First. We are musicians that happen to use technology to make the subject more engaging to the kids. We're on the same wavelength on that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, th there's no doubt. I, I can only amplify what you said. And um, it's become very clear. I had a, a conversation with someone um, that, that, in fact, we've both known for our entire careers. And part of that conversation was, okay, 30 years ago, uh, what did, where did you think we'd be today? Mm. And this journey around technology integration into music and arts education generally has been a slow one. And mm, you know, very, that, very. I, I just was in San Diego Unified School District and had the opportunity to, to train about 140, not just music, but arts teachers in the district. And mm -hmm. 
Jim, I know you do this. I walked in, I did rapid fire sessions, 25 minutes on, five minutes off through all 140. So I did that back to back to back all morning. Ouch. We all do when we're teaching in the classroom on a regular school day schedule. But I asked every group of teachers that came in, how many of you feel like you got a good or solid grounding in music and audio technology or just technology in general, because there were theater teachers in there and dance and other arts disciplines. Raise your hand if you got a good grounding in that in your undergraduate education. What percentage of the teachers that were in those training sessions in San Diego do you think raised their hands? (laughs) A very small number. And I'd say it was about 10%. Yeah, yeah. Even to this day, when we're training teachers, the the system itself hasn't adapted to provide these skills. So it's great that Music First is there and that you've been inspired to do this, Mm -hmm. that we've done this together all these years. All right. So I have two more questions for you, Lee. And the next one is probably I've I've never asked it of a better uh, source. And that is the advice. What advice would you give to music teachers who are either listening to this podcast may have been using uh, technology through the pandemic against their will. But now, you know, okay, we're here. What advice would you give to a music teacher who's who's thinking of incorporating their music tech into their programs post-pandemic? What, what, what you know, how should they go about doing it? What is your advice? I think it's a, it's a just do it. And I remember Mike Covens at Corg USA saying that all the time to me when I started in this industry in 1989, you know, there's, there's no reason not to, and don't be afraid of it. You know, the comment that I just made and we shared about um, how much uh, pre-service support we get as arts educators with technology, you can find the resources there everywhere. And music first is a good place to go for the, for that. And I spend time at focus right group, creating materials to support that as well. It's essential. And whether it's you integrating a composition and music creativity uh, class or elective with technology to to make and create music or work on music production, or, you know, if you've got elective tracks that are working on, you know, show production and live sound mixing, and you've got your students actually doing all of that, just, just do it. There's a really broad set of resources that'll help you get there. And it's important. You can't not do it. It's part of life. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that I have always kind of gleaned from teachers that I've trained is that a, a lot of them are just scared. And when I ask, like, what's there to be scared about? It's that they don't know or they might be just one step ahead of the kids when it comes to the technology. And that's kind of walking on a tightrope without a net. And what I've always said to them is it's OK if the kids the kids will always know more about technology than you. It's impossible for you to know more about than them. However, you are the expert in the room when it comes to music. So my my when I was teaching, I, rem, I I have a kid had a kid who is now working for Apple. He's the guy that actually created the turban emoji um, for Apple computer. He's a fantastic, uh, fantastic kid, Kopreet Chalana. And I remember um, in, in school uh, when I was teaching, they blocked YouTube on me. I think the IT director didn't like me. So they blocked YouTube. And this kid, Colpreet, came up and he goes, you know, Dr. Frankel, do you mind if I help you? And, you know, really good kid. But, you know, for many teachers, having a student stand up and help you is is like a not a comfortable 
thing because it maybe it makes you look like you're not as smart as you think you are. And Colpreet stood up there, went into the terminal of my Mac, which I'd never seen. I didn't even know it was a thing on my Mac. Um, and immediately like, just started typing like code. And I was like, what are you doing to my computer? And within 10 seconds, um, his computer at home was on my computer screen projected for the class. And I was like, oh, Colpreet, what are you doing? And he goes, no, just trust me, Dr. Frankel. And he went on YouTube on his home computer in school. And he goes, all right, you can now use YouTube. Just what, you know, teach whatever video you wanted to show. And I think for, for a lot of music teachers, they don't like giving up the control to kids because the kids, I mean, you and I both are experts, quote unquote, in music technology. Any card carrying uh, 15 year old in high school knows more about technology than we do. It's just like a, uh, yeah. So I, I love to jump right in, just do it. Um, and if you need help, uh, ask a kid. And usually it's the biggest pain in the ass kid um that is that knows the most <laughs> yeah, it's all about context right i mean yes. you put it very very beautifully because it's about context and experience because we can guide students they don't come into you know their early music making or if they're an undergraduate student working on a music degree they may have high levels of uh, familiarity with technology and with the tools but I, th I think you're probably nodding your head. They, <laughs> they don't have the context. None. And, and there are things like, for me, think about it. I, I'm a, a pianist, keyboard player, mostly work in, worked in musical instrument, electronic musical instrument companies and got to focus right. And it was like, okay, now I got more chops that I got to hone. Like I've got loudspeakers to think about and studio monitors and immersive audio mm. and very high-end audio interfaces. And I came into the company with what? A music education background and a lot of industry experience. You're always adding to your professional repertoire, right? There, yep. There's always more to learn and I'm always happy to ask questions. And I think that's what it's about. Yep. Context and just go do it. Yep. All right, Lee, final question. And I can't wait uh, to hear this is if you could wave a magic wand and have music technology, Focusrite products, anything about our industry, do something that it can't do now, what would it be? Wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> Wave a wand and have it do something. Hmm. I Because oh, <laughs> we're the people that make it happen. So <laughs> what would, uh, yeah, it's like, go for it. No, I I. I think that it's a really great question. I mean, I, my answer really goes back to what we were just talking about. Um, if it's it's uncomfortableness, fear of lack of familiarity, um, if we had tools that just, you know, if the industry could do this, if we could just magically um, have support and learning materials and examples it takes a lot of time to yep. produce stuff, right we've we've been just talking about this for half an hour 40 yeah. minutes and in the industry it's it takes a lot of time and commitment to say i'm going to wrap around 
what I'm creating, all the tools that are going to make everything super accessible for any type of user, which for you and me, I think translates into any type of learner. So right. yep. it may not be a terribly exciting or sexy answer for me, but I think about how much time that you and I and others spend on creating content, we can still make it easier and we can still provide more context. And I think that if I could wave a wand, it would be for more budget resources to just do what I know I'd love to do. Mm. And you just don't have an unlimited amount of time and and money and resource to produce that. I'd love to just make it more accessible to jump into audio, into music, and to provide an additional level of support and comfort that's just going to take you know all of our peers, say, music education to the next step so that it's it's super comfortable and easy to be effective. Yeah, uh, here, here. And, and I don't think people realize just how much money and time and effort it takes to produce those. So I'm really glad. One of the things where we pride ourselves at Music First is our support team and how much they uh, help our customers. Uh, and now, like you just said, they're learning all the focus right innovation products so that when we have those types of questions, they're able to help those people. It is it is a it's a labor of love. Um, you know, we, you and I both are, 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 are often judged by, by numbers, which I don't like, but that's how the business, the corporate side of things works. But if we, uh, I, I, I totally agree that if we just had unlimited resources, that's what we would spend almost all of our time on. It's the, it's the support and help and the materials and the training to get our customers just feeling like this is just, just the same as a baton and a metronome and a tuner. Absolutely. We sit on the other side of this and look at the outcomes. Um, and those are the things that make the the biggest difference, I think. Yep. Yeah. It's so fun. So Lee, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today to uh to join me on this. I it's a it's a real I got a big smile on my face, a real treat for me to to talk to you. I hope our listeners uh, enjoyed uh, two old friends kind of talking shop for 40 minutes, but thank you so, so much. And uh, and I look forward to our partnership and I look forward to uh, being with you on the road and, and, and spreading the word about Music First and Focus Right. Yeah, I'm equally excited. Big smile on my face too. And Jim, congratulations on everything that you and Music First do for our community of music and audio educators and storytellers you're you're just knocking it out of the park super <sighs> proud of everything that you're doing congratulations thanks lee all right take care my friend cheers thank you so much thank you for listening to profiles in teaching with technology from music first for more information about music first please visit www.musicfirst.com if you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.